Hey everyone, this is Chad Harms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thank you for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about the signs and speeches of Jesus and the spite that surrounded them. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to say hi to a couple of people. I know that sounds a bit strange, but as we move into the new year, I think it is the perfect time to greet a few of our listeners specifically. I've mentioned before that I think it is really awesome that my sermons get listened to around the world. We are not a big church, and it just amazes me how many countries my preaching reaches through this podcast. That said, it seems that most of the time my sermons get listened to outside of the United States are one-offs. People find one of them through a search or whatever, and they listen. However, we've noticed that there are a few places where people are listening to our sermons almost every week, and I want to acknowledge those people. So to you who are listening in Madrid, Paris, Dublin, Brussels, and Frankfurt, hi. I appreciate you listening. I've prayed for you. And honestly, I think it would be really cool to connect with you. If you ever want to say hi back, send me an email at chad at creekside.me or send me a message on Instagram. My username is Chad A. Harms. And in the meantime, know that it's a huge blessing for me and for our church to know that you are listening. To everyone else, Happy New Year. I hope 2022 will be an amazing year for you, a year where you see the movement of God in your life in a mighty way. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. I'm glad you're here today, and I'm I'm looking forward to continuing to study through the book of John. And today I preach on a passage, we're going to cover a big chunk of scripture today, an entire chapter of the book of John. And it contains some words that are kind of difficult. And I think the difficulty of the words is actually uh, what makes this passage really important for us today. As as somebody who's been preaching the Bible for a pretty long time now, um, 17 years of of my life, uh, I can tell you that there are certain passages of Scripture that you, that you just look forward to preaching in large part because you know that everybody you preach them to is going gonna, is gonna to think that they're awesome. And then there are other passages that are difficult. But like, think of, think of these words of Jesus, like when he says, my burden is light. Like, everybody likes that. That's awesome, right? Or, or do not let your hearts be troubled. Or I am with you always. Or ask and it will be given to you. Or if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. That's one that used to be on my grandma's wall when I was growing up, right? And it's the passages that end up on people's walls that are really fun to preach. It's the passages that everybody wants to pretend don't exist that are more difficult. And in our section today, we have one of those, those difficult kind of verses, not because it's super offensive to us as modern day readers, although it's a passage that gets debated about a lot, but, but because instead uh, it was offensive really to the, the people that first heard it. And, and here's, here's the reason that I think it's important. This is going to be words said by Jesus and As you'll see, it's words that cause people to walk away from him. And the reality while Jesus walked on earth and now is that people often like their idea of Jesus. They like a Jesus that fits into their box. They like a Jesus who 
looks a lot like them, who looks a lot like culture. They like a Jesus that they can kind of twist and, and you know, mess with and, and fit them into what feels good. They like that kind of Jesus. And when Jesus lived on this earth, people liked their version of Jesus. But when it comes to Christianity, we don't get to create our own version of Jesus. Christianity calls us to follow the Jesus of the Bible without sugarcoating or without twisting or changing the things that he taught. And that is a struggle for many people today. In fact, many people, I think, follow or try to follow a version of Jesus that is, is not the one that's the, the Jesus of the Bible. And that is exactly, that's exactly the situation in our story today. Lots of people are following Jesus, and I'll put following in quotes. They are, in, in a literal, physical sense, they are following Jesus around, but it's because they like a version of Jesus that isn't the real one. It's the version of Jesus that they want him to be and not the version of Jesus that is true. And here's, here's the point of it all. Before we look at the passage, I'll just tell you the point of it all. We have to make a decision whether we will believe in Jesus and then strive to understand and obey his teachings or whether we will just reject Jesus because we don't understand and want to obey those teachings in the first place. You see, people want to just pretend that certain words of Jesus don't exist or whatever, but the decision that we have to make is whether or not we'll just believe in him, choose to follow him, and then seek to understand and obey him, or whether we'll just reject him because there's certain things that we don't like about his teachings in the first place. And I think what a lot of people do is they try to pretend that he didn't say certain things, or they try to twist certain things that he says, and then they say, well, I'll follow Jesus as long as I don't have to embrace those things. But that's, that's not what Jesus allowed for. That's not how Jesus lived, and it's surely not how Jesus taught. And, and here's, here's how it's all going to go down. First, what happens is that, I'm gonna, man, one of the great miracles of Jesus' life, and I'm going to just gloss right over it here. And so make sure you read all of John chapter 6, because as I said last week, to start to move more quickly so that we can get to the resurrection by Easter, we're covering big sections, and I can't read it all. But at the beginning of John chapter 6, we read of Jesus feeding 5,000 men plus women and children with just, just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. He does this miraculously. And that's a big deal just as far as a miracle goes. But the point of John chapter 6 is not, is not first and foremost, look at this incredible miracle Jesus did. It's really to get to, I think, what we read in verses 14 and 15. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. If you were at our candlelight service, you know this. If you weren't there, let me just tell you that what we, what we tried to turn people's attention to at our candlelight service this year is, is, is Jesus as the humble king and the exalted king. Jesus is both the humble king and the exalted king. And the reality is that when Jesus was born, he is king. And, and, and now that he has died, risen again, and sits uh, and at the right hand of the Father in heaven, he is still king. Jesus has always been king. He always will be king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. 
But here, after being fed by Jesus, after being given free bread, the people don't want to recognize Jesus for the king that he is. They want to make Jesus a king that will overthrow the Roman government that is oppressing the Israelites and move the nation of Israel into a new season where they will be prosperous and they'll have lots more of this. They want a Jesus that feeds their bodies and they're not worried about the fact that he can feed their souls. And so, and so the people, notice this, notice this. They try to force Jesus to become king. That's their intent, to force him to become king, not in the way that we understand him to be king or that I just presented, but to be king in the way that they want him to be king. It's exactly what I've already said. They want their own version of Jesus. They have come to Jesus because they want a certain version of of him, of the prophet who has come to earth. They want a version that makes things feel good in the short term, in their physical lives. That's the Jesus they want. That's the Jesus they're interested in. And here it says that Jesus goes up on a mountain by himself because he's trying to avoid being shoved into their box of what they want him to be like. They want their own version of Jesus, and so often people want their own version of Jesus today. And as I said last week, you know, one of the great problems in the American Christian church culture is that because pastors and Christian leaders recognize that people want a certain version of Jesus, they often present that version of Jesus. But that's not what happens in this story here. What happens next is that Jesus walks on water. I know you didn't see that coming, but uh, that's, what, that's what happens next. So Jesus goes up on this mountain to pray, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gloss over a second incredible miracle here. But Jesus goes up on this mountain to pray, and his disciples get into a boat, and they're have, headed back to Capernaum. And they're out on the lake. They're three to four miles out. The wind and the waves kick in. It's a stormy night and all of a sudden they look out of the boat and, and Jesus is walking up to them. Now remember for the, or, or hear this for those of you who haven't been around, the intent of the book of John is to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. John says that in John chapter 20 and at the beginning of the book he's laid forth this idea that Jesus is the word. He is God in human form. He is God that has become flesh. And for the rest of the book, he is trying to prove that to the, those who will read it. And, and here, I mean, come on, walking on water in the middle of a storm and the disciples look out and they're scared because it's such an incredible moment. I mean, to me, this is incredible proof that Jesus is who John says that Jesus is and who Jesus says that he is. I think that you just, as I've said through, like in every sermon as we've gone through the book of John, to, to, to listen to an eyewitness account of a man walking on water and just to dismiss it without ever considering it is pure foolishness. We need to look at that story, a story that's familiar to those of us who have grown up in the church, and we need to say, wow, if we're Christians, and if you're not a Christian, you need to say, maybe there is something to this Jesus guy. Maybe there's something to this Jesus guy. 
Jesus gets in the boat, and it's kind of crazy. Immediately, they arrive at their destination, and then we read this in John 6, 22 through 24. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but they had gone away alone. Then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread. After the Lord had given thanks, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got in the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. Now, don't they just seem to like Jesus so much? I mean, they're like, oh, Jesus isn't here. Let's get in our boats and go where Jesus is. And that's what we that's what we want from people, right? Like we want people who just want to be where Jesus is, who want to follow Jesus so closely that, you know, if he's not here, I'm not here, right? Like I'm going to go where Jesus goes. They, they really seem to like Jesus. But as will become clear in a minute, even more clear, is that they only like their version of Jesus. Now, in this series, we're... We're trying to see why there was so much spite around Jesus. That's the, that's the title of this series, Signs, Speeches, and Spite. Jesus, he does these incredible signs. He gives these incredible speeches. And, and then out of that, people are so angry with him. And here we haven't seen any of that yet because here so far in this story, Jesus, Jesus has only done the things that they want him to do, that they like. And so they are willing to go wherever he is as long as he only does and says the things that they like. But that, that is not the Jesus of Christianity. I would, I would caution, in fact, I would caution that if no words you ever think about Jesus saying bother you in some way, or if a preacher only preaches things from the mouth of Jesus that sound like something everybody will like, then it's probably not a good version of the Jesus of the Bible. Because when Jesus does things and says things throughout his life, it is so common for people just to be angry. And every time it seems like he opens his mouth while he walked on this earth, it's like a dividing line is drawn. You either choose to believe in him and then figure out what he actually means or figure out how to be obedient or you reject him because you just can't stand the things that he has said and has done. An easy Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. It's not the Jesus presented by the people that knew him best and hung out with him most while he walked the earth. And it's interesting here because what we're going to read next, it's almost as if Jesus recognizes, wow, these people really like their version of me. And so I need to say something in this moment that causes them to have to make a decision about whether or not they're going to really believe in me for eternal life or not. Listen to this. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. 
He says, you're not here. Not, you're not even here because you saw a miracle and you think that I am the son of God, the Messiah. That's not why you're here. You're here because you want some more free food. Now, I bought these and I don't know if they're appealing to you. I'm not like a dinner roll guy. Like this doesn't, if, you, if I had a Chipotle burrito up here, then like the, the imagery, I'd be like, oh yeah, I'd hang out with a guy if he got me free, free burritos. Like I'm in for free tacos, free burritos all day. I don't know if these appeal to you. Maybe you're, I feel like there's two people at Thanksgiving. There's people who are there for the, the dinner roll and there's people who don't eat the dinner roll. That's just my experience. But for these people, you know, most of whom are working all day long to be able to have bread that just produces enough sustenance to stay alive and work the next day, a free meal is a really big deal. And Jesus looks at them as they come across the lake. They seem like such devoted followers, right? Like, I mean, where you are, we want to be too. Jesus, how did you get here? Why'd you leave us behind? And he looks at them and says, you're not even here because you saw a cool miracle. You're only here because you want some more food. You want something that fills your belly. And then he says to them, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it? This is not very dissimilar, actually, if you've, if you've been following along through the book of John. It's not a really dissimilar conversation to the conversation that Jesus had with the woman at the well. Uh, it's like Jesus jumps deep into the spiritual end of the conversation, and the people stay at the shallow surface level end. It's like Jesus wants to talk about their souls, and they want to talk about a free meal. But as we'll see, the outcome is not the same as the woman at the well, because she chooses to believe in Jesus for eternal life. And these people, they don't. They don't. Jesus says to them, work for food. Work for food that will endure. And they say, what do we got to do? And he's like, do the works of the Father. And like, well, what is that? And he says, believe in the one he has sent. That's him, clearly. And then they just, man, I hate it. I heard a couple smirks. Maybe you kind of picked up on just how cold and crass and foolish this language is. They're like, what sign will you give? <laughs> what else are you going to give us? I mean, if the work of God is to believe in you, then what else are you going to give us so that we might believe? Yeah, Jesus, we'll believe as long as, as long as you are the Jesus that we want you to be. And his response, it's funny because this is just so, all of this is so debated about. But I think it's almost debated about because Jesus is sitting in this moment where people are, are saying, yeah, we'll believe in you if you, give us, if you give us the right version. And Jesus now teaches basically the same thing he's already said in perhaps the most difficult way that he possibly could have said it. And again, it's almost as if he's saying, look, <laughs> you can either choose to believe in me and then figure out what I mean, 
or you could not believe in me at all because what I'm about to say is difficult. Here's what he says. Jesus said to them, verses 32 through 35, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. First, Jesus says, look, the bread is not from Moses, it's from God. And And I think there's probably a dual meaning here. He's saying like that manna from heaven, if you know the story in the Old Testament where the Jewish people, they've been set free from Egypt and they're wandering in the wilderness and and, and God actually just supernaturally sends them food every day from heaven. But here they're like, Moses gave us bread and Jesus is like, wait, what? God gave you bread. But also he uses that to say, I am, he is the true bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. It's so clear that what I said when I talked about the woman at the well is being said again here. There he said that that he is the one who can satisfy their souls, her soul, and now he's saying, I am the one who can satisfy your soul. And the people, the people, they still don't seem to get it, but, but in verse 42, they, they look at him and they, they're like, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? This is one of those situations in John where, where, where it's a, a divine misunderstanding, as I said it before, a divine misunderstanding where Jesus is teaching about something so deep and the people just can't see it in that way. They, they take it in the most shallow way and they completely misunderstand what Jesus is talking about. We saw it when uh, Nicodemus responds to Jesus and Jesus says, you have to be born again. And he's like, I can't go back into the womb. And, and, and now we see it here as Jesus says that he is the bread of life. And I say all that because I just want to make clear that there are times when it's hard to understand what Jesus means. He says, anyone who is not for me is against me. That's difficult, right? I mean, there's a lot of statements in Jesus' words, some of which I'll come back to in a minute, that are just difficult to understand. And I believe with all my heart that people have to make a decision to follow Jesus anyway. And understanding will come out of believing. But oftentimes people choose to not believe simply because they misunderstand in the first place. And I would hope that that would not be you. But then... Then in their misunderstanding, Jesus, he says that, you know, false disciples will walk away. And then he, and then he says this, like the most difficult thing in the whole passage in verses 51 through 52. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. The bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews begin to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Good question. Now look, I listen. This is this is what's really important about this. If you if you've been in church, if you have any theological studies in your background, then then the the argument that is centered around this passage of scripture is communion. And it's often about what happens in communion. Like for Catholic people there is a 
transformation of the bread into the physical, this is their belief, the physical, it's not like it's for Catholics, this is what Catholics believe, into the physical body of Christ. For, for Lutherans, they say, well, the, the body of Jesus is present with the bread and his blood present with the wine that we drink. And, and for those of us that are Protestants, we say, well, this is a symbol. But what I say to you today is that while the Lord's Supper, communion, the Eucharist, there may be argumentation to be made here, dialogue about that. It has nothing to do with the primary point of what Jesus is actually saying to these people. In John 6, 40, Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. The point that Jesus is making here is primarily that He is the way to eternal life. The way I read it this week, and I think this is so important, is that Jesus almost looks at this crowd and says, if you're not going to believe me when I say it in a clear, succinct, literal way, then I'm just going to use metaphor only. It's like Jesus says, hey, if you can't, if you can't embrace it when I say it literally and concisely, then I'm just going to say it in the most difficult way possible. Because right now in this moment, we'll find out who's really my follower and who's not. Jesus says, if you don't want the real version of me, then I'm going to say it in the most difficult way because I want the real followers of me here following me. The language of verse 51 just makes it clear that this is not a direct reference to the Lord's Supper. There may be a secondary illustration there. That's missing the point. The, the point is, as Jesus says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. The point is that he is the way. Connection to him is the way to spiritual fulfillment and eternal life. That's the point. D.A. Carson says, none of this means there's no allusion to these verses in the Lord's table. But such allusions as exist prompt the thoughtful reader to look behind the Eucharist to that which the Eucharist itself points. In other words, Eucharist allusions are set in the broader framework of Jesus' saving work, in particular, his cross work. This metaphor points to the truth that Verse 40 has already said, believe in Jesus for eternal life. Now remember, all of this starts out. Why, I mean, what's the context? You can't forget the context here. It's easy. I think if I've read this before, I've probably just read it completely disassociated uh, from everything else, that else that's already been said. The context here is that he's looked at these people and he said, you only want me for free bread. And now he looks at them and says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood his point is clear. You, you come to me for eternal life. But it's the fact that he says it in this way that produces spite within them suggests to me that Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be the Jesus you want me to be. I'm going to be the Jesus I am. And if you want to believe in me and come to an understanding, then you can have eternal life. But if you want to look at the difficult sayings that I make, if you want to try to fit me into your box, then you're just not going to have the eternal life in the first place. And you'll probably never understand the things that I've said. 
This is the choice that all of us must make 2,000 years later. We still have to decide, am I going to believe in Jesus even when it's difficult? Or am I just going to try to fit Jesus into my box? And am I going to try to make Jesus into the version of Jesus that I want him to be? And if it's the latter, then you're frankly not truly a Christian And you're always going to be a little bit bothered by everything Jesus says. What happens is we choose to follow Jesus no matter what is that over time we learn to understand more deeply all that he says and we even come to appreciate the difficult things of Jesus. The things that we say, there's no way I'd want to obey that. We say, you know what? It is wonderful to obey that as we follow Jesus longer and deeper. Listen what happens. Verse 60 and then verses 66 through 69. And again, if you think I'm just skipping over things because I don't like them or whatever, that would be very hypocritical in this sermon. Uh, I want you to go read it all, but for time's sake, I'm trying to get to the key verses. This is what they say. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Man, that word hard there, it's a, it translates a Greek word that, that is more accurately like harsh or offensive. Like this is offensive to me. And, and so they walk away. And the Jesus of the Bible is offensive pretty frequently compared to and in our modern culture. Uh, let me read you some things. You cannot serve both God and money. I talked about this last week. Love and pray for your enemies. Deny self. Hell is real and many are headed there. It's a paraphrase. We cannot be accepted by both Jesus and the world. Let the dead bury their dead. Whoever divorces and remarries commits adultery. He is the only way to God. These are difficult statements by Jesus. Difficult and real statements by Jesus. And to be a real follower of Jesus, we must embrace all of that. We must accept all of that and follow him anyway. The reality is we must make a decision to believe in him and then strive to understand and obey or reject him because we misunderstand or don't like something in the first place. This is the decision that that is laid before all of the world. We choose to believe and then figure it out and obey him or we choose to not believe because we don't like something. And, And even I would just point out that from this time can also be translated for this reason, for this reason, because his statements were offensive, because they didn't like the real version of Jesus. They chose to walk away. And Jesus, in this kind of solemn moment, it seems, he turns to the disciples. The the language there is a bit confusing because the, the disciples walked away and then the disciples. And the first time, it's meant by all those who were kind of hanging out with him. And the second time, it's what is meant is, is these 12 men who, who we refer to now, starting in this verse in John, the 12 or the disciples, the ones who are intimately connected to them. And he goes, are you going to leave too? Do you want to go away too? 
And, and Peter says this thing that's, that's just so important. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, in that, I almost hear from Peter, well, I didn't really like it either. <laughs> I mean, like, that bothered me too, Jesus. We don't understand what you're talking about. I, I can't take a bite of you. I can't drink your blood. I don't have a clue what you're talking about, Jesus, but I, I have no hope anywhere else. There's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else to find eternal life. There's no other choice here but for me to follow you anyway. And I would want the whole world to know that yes, on so, on so many occasions, the words and the works of Jesus, the signs and the speeches of Jesus are pretty offensive, especially when you stand them up against our current culture. But there's nowhere else to go to find eternal life. And so the only logical, smart choice is to follow him and then figure out what he means later, or even if you still don't like it, to embrace it and be obedient to him anyway. There is nowhere else to go for eternal life but to Jesus. There is no other way. If it is not Jesus, it is nothing. If there... If he is not the savior, then there's no hope. And, the, and let me tell you why. Let me just tell you why. It's because all people have fallen short of the glory of God. Every single person. And if you are a person, you know this. You have done things that are atrocious. And the reason you think they're atrocious, whether or not you admit this or not, are because they are not in line with the will of God for your life. You have sinned against God. You have been disobedient to God, the very creator of your body and soul. You have rejected him. You have chosen to be at odds with him. You have chosen to be his enemy. And so God sent his one and only son, Jesus, as we've seen in the book of John, to die for those sins, to be the punishment for those sins, to pay the price for those sins, so that all who will come to believe in him for their salvation, for their eternal life, can have that eternal life and can move into eternal life now so that their souls can be satisfied while still living on this earth despite all of the terrible things that we face and we deal with and we struggle through. And then someday we can have a perfect eternal life in heaven and then a new earth once God recreates it. That's the offer but the offer is not you get that if you just make Jesus whatever you want him to be. It's that you follow Jesus no matter whether, matter whether you like it all or not, whether you understand it all or not, and then you can have that. And Jesus here says, like, you can have all of me or none of me. You just can't get your version of me. And so he looks at this crowd, and man, he says, he says hey, this is, I mean, they all probably love this. Believe in me, you get eternal life. Sweet. But we want some food. I mean, give us some food, right? And he's like, no, no, no. Eat my body. Drink my blood. And they're like, whoa, I don't like that. I'm out of here. It is important to consider carefully 
the decision that lays before all people. You can choose to believe in Jesus and then strive to understand and obey him. Or you can look at the hard teachings of Jesus and say, I don't like that, and choose to reject him. But if you choose the latter, there is no hope. There is no satisfaction for your soul. You will learn that over time. And there is no eternal life in the glorious perfection of heaven and a recreated earth. There is no other place to go for eternal life. And so I submit to you, choose carefully whether or not you will believe in him despite the things you don't like or whether you will reject him and miss out on all that he has offered you by giving his life on a cross. Let me pray that you will choose wisely. Lord Jesus, I pray that every person in this room and every person who watches online, God, would, would absolutely, God, weigh those options. Lord, there are things, I've been guilty of this in my life, there are things that you said while you walked the earth and that, God, I'm like, oh boy, I got to preach on that. But perhaps those are the things I need to preach most clearly and most forcefully, God, because there will always be reminders that we don't get to follow the version of you that we want. We get to follow the version of you that is real. And God, that can be hard, that can be scary, that can be difficult, that can even be confusing. But the results of it, God, are for me too good to pass up. And I pray, God, as people watch online, people sitting in front of me, that, that they would recognize that there is, there is no other, there is no other place to go for eternal life. And that they would choose, God, to turn to you, to follow you, Lord Jesus. Not the version of you that they want, but the version of you that is, Lord. And they would follow you, God, in obedience, uh, even, when, even when it is hard and it's a struggle. For those of us that have made that decision, I would pray, God, majority of people in this room, I know, Lord, they follow you. They are Christians. They've chosen to follow you even when it is difficult, even when it's hard to understand. I, I would pray, God, that we would not present to others a false version of you. God, that we would not even be like this crowd who, who's willing to go where you go as long as we like it, but when it's not so fun, we meander in a different direction. I pray that we would be all in all the time, Lord, that we would be like Peter and your disciples, the 12, God, who, who, who just knew there was no other place to go. And so they followed you, God, especially, specifically after the resurrection, right to their deaths for the most part, right into persecution and struggle and pain because, because they knew there was no other place to find eternal life. Let us be like that, Jesus. I pray all of these things in your holy name. Amen.